0: I take this opportunity to offer some uh, reflections on the Dharma as we enter the heart of our retreat. very precious opportunity that we have to be in a place which is uh, conducive for wise reflection. The Buddha used the word yonisomanasikara. manasikara, the phrase We say wise reflection. Tonight I'll talk a little bit about that, some of what that encourages us to ponder. when there's a lack of wise reflection, when we're making, in a compulsive, conditioned way, making assumptions about what is true, what is false, what is mine, what is yours, what should be, what shouldn't be. That lack of wise reflection, uh, the Buddha called avijja. Vijja means seeing clearly, a, ah, the prefix a ah means not, not, not seeing. Clearly, it's translated as ignorance. A kind of ignoring of the actuality. What we're imagining that that our views and opinions are the truth, but there's an unconscious ignoring. We're not really using this instrument. We have this precious instrument within us, inherent in our nature, of consciousness that can discern, that can wisely reflect, that can align with and know things the way they actually are. When there's the ahvijjā, not when there's the ignorance that the Buddha talked about is the condition that gives rise to all suffering. So we've all made the effort, the commendable effort, the not easy effort, to let go for a time, make a gesture of what the Buddha called viveka, or leaving the life, the habits, the daily routines, the responsibilities. Yes, they come with us, but leaving that circumstance for the sake of Retreating for the sake of cultivating this wise reflection that can illumine the nature of things and liberate us from that which gives rise to and perpetuates suffering, distress, conflict, confusion, What the Buddha called the whole mass of suffering. I'd, I'd like to start with uh, just the outlines of a, an encounter, a story which is recorded in the scriptures, the Buddhist teachings, of a meeting between uh, the Venerable Anuruddha and Venerable Sariputra. Sariputra, you remember, is the, one of the Buddha's chief disciples, foremost in wisdom. This encounter took place before Anuruddha was enlightened. Already he was formidable, a bit intimidating. But he approached uh, Venerable Sariputra uh, because they were colleagues. I don't know if he said friend or Venerable Sir, but uh, it was respectful, I'm sure. And he said my something like, I don't have the exact words as recorded but something like, uh, my divine eye can see clearly the multifold thousand-world system. Already at that time, he was known for his samadhi. He, He was good at mindfully staying present. And he was already known for being foremost at this inner vision, being able to see the subtle realms in all the different directions. With my divine eye, I see the thousandfold world system, he said. My energy is is aroused and unsluggish. He went on to say. The mindfulness is unshaken. The body is calm. The heart, the the chitta, the mind is concentrated, singular. But I still suffer. this heart is still not liberated. And when uh, Sariputra entered, he, he said, Friend, when you have that thought, my divine eye, foremost in the sangha that can see the thousand world system that is connected to your conceit, This idea about yourself," he said. "Those, when you have those thoughts, of uh, your energy being aroused and unsluggish, the mindfulness unshaken, the body calm, the heart concentrated," he said. "That's connected to your restlessness." Always oh, got something else to do, somewhere to get to, something to accomplish. And he said that thought. When you have the thought, but I still suffer, the mind is not liberated from the what's called the floods that sweep us, carry us away. He said, when you have that thought, it's connected to your anxiety. And this next this next phrase is interesting. Sariputra said, It would be well when those thoughts arise to let them be, to just abandon them and turn your mind to the deathless. Turn your mind to that which never dies. I'd like to talk this evening about this slight, slight adjustment but profound of our attention that is so important. It wasn't long after Anuruddha took up that instruction that he was freed. Remember the, when we chant every morning the qualities of the Dharma. The Buddha is talking about this timeless, peaceful nature. He says it's always here and now. It's not somewhere else. We chant it every day, Sanditiko, that means this peace. Unshakable peace is not somewhere else. A calico, it's not bound in time. It's not only when I've done it all right and I deserve it, I've experienced enough pain. It's timeless. It's not just for a Tuesday or a full moon or. when our Jupiter is midheaven mid-heaven, time less. It's Ehipasaka always inviting us. So what could that be? What, what's he, what's Sariputra telling Anuruddha when he's, he's being honest, divine eye he could see all these forms he was being mindful making effort his samadhi was good but he was doing stuff and this recurring thought but I'm I'm not free I'm, I'm, not, I'm not enlightened He didn't say you must crush those thoughts. He didn't say you must obliterate them. Something like abandon rather than being preoccupied, talking about a softening, a widening, a letting be. Don't don't pay attention that turn your mind to that which is not coming not going very very important principle in the Dharma the Buddha once said this heart is luminous It is already luminous. But we lose touch with it when we get confused by what's moving through the heart. This is a clue. The heart is luminous. But we lose touch with that, what the Buddha called on occasion the original brightness, this source, this true nature, we lose touch with this the phrase he used pabhāsarajitta radiant heart when we get confused by what's moving through what, what's moving through now? Tuesday night dharma talk kītisaro dharma talk Right now, the sounds touching the heart, but do they just stay there? They're dissolved. But sometimes we don't notice what's moving through the heart if we're busy reacting to. Oh God, I wonder how long he's going to go on tonight. Little aside: Once Ajahn Chah was giving a dharma talk in his underneath his hut in Thailand, and uh, in the jungle, the sounds, the dark. He's in his chair giving the dharma talk, and a little way into the dharma talk, one of the novices grabbed his flashlight and turned it on, and this beam of light opened up into the room and found the clock on the wall. Big mistake there was a collective mm. all the monks knew what that means. That talk went on for hours. I won't go on for hours, but if we're notice we lose touch with what's actually moving through the heart of we're thinking oh it's good it's it's not good oh I'm, I'm Wondering if and will it be, and will I like it not like it? What if we come to the actuality right now—the sights of this hall, the shifting as our attention moves, and we blink. Those impressions are coming, and going, appearing, and dissolving in the heart. The sounds. Dharma talk might sound like a noun, it might, you know, get sent off to Sea, get a title. It might be a great talk or oh golly, that was an ordeal. Sounds like a thing, but you know, as we have the chance to through wise reflection illuminate a dharma talk, it's full of holes. Sounds that keep dissolving. Dharma talk appears and dissolves. The sensations of our body mixed with the sounds of the talk, feeling tones, a cascade of shifting and changing which we've been contemplating. Turn your mind to the deathless. When one really notices change, notices what's arising and ceasing, noticing these thoughts, we can also, with just a slight shift of attention, We can also notice what is not changing. The sounds are shifting and changing within an unmoving listening. That's just a name for it an unmoving awareness. That's another name. The name is coming and going. The sounds are moving and within the true nature of the name. As in the Tao Te Ching, as Lao Tzu said, the name that can be named is not the eternal name. Any name is going to be dissolved. God, the supreme reality... Dissolves, oh, kitty sorrow. Don't you're in dangerous territory, buddy. Nibbana, with a capital N. It's a name. The first disciple who had a breakthrough after the Buddha's awakening. when he tried to figure out who might understand. And he remembered the five ascetics that he used to practice with, and they had a lot of faith in the Buddha because the Bodhisattva, the prince, because he left all that behind. And he was the super-duper ascetic. He could eat less, endure more pain, make more effort, than anybody and you all remember that they, they uh, abandoned the siddhartha when, uh, when he had gotten so emaciated and realized he wasn't getting anywhere, had that memory under the rose apple tree of a, of a child and he knew he needed to leave behind these aesthetic practices. So when he returned to being with the breathing, he knew he needed to eat something to have the strength to, to do that. He accepted that offering from Sujata of milk rice, and the five ascetics just left him. Slacker. He's reverted to luxury. But when the after the Buddha was awake, he then realized when he was wondering who to try to share this with, he knew they would understand. And he saw with his inner vision, his awakened vision where they were, outside of Banaras in the deer park. He made his way. And as he approached them, they at first didn't they said, Hey look, he's coming, we'll let him sit down if he wants but the slacker. We're not going to do any special things for him. But they couldn't help themselves. They couldn't help but make some gestures. But then, when he declared he was, uh, was uh, awakened and would teach them, they, uh, that's a bit too far. How can you? You're the slacker. You've reverted to luxury. Three times he said, I've realized the way. You practice it, you so will you. They kept saying, look, you've reverted to luxury. That's impossible. They had some views. And he said, have I ever talked this way? And somehow that penetrated their heart. Have I ever lied to you? Do you ever remember me lying to you? They listened. He, he gave us that first discourse on the four noble truths. And at the end, the Buddha exclaimed, he saw what had happened. During the discourse, during that talk, that one of the disciples, Kundanya, had broken through, had an insight. So he exclaimed, it's in the sutra, it's in the end of the discourse, Kandanya knows. Kandanya knows. What does he know? The Buddha restates it. He knows whatever has the nature to arise has the nature to cease. Whatever has the nature to rise has the nature to cease. Doesn't sound very spectacular. But as I was speaking, it was yesterday morning, that cultivation, recognition of the changing nature is so profoundly liberating. We start to see all the things that we think were me and mine as we see them coming and going, arising and ceasing. It's the recognition that what is it that's mine? And as we see what comes and goes, we start to get the experience of the heart that remains, that which is aware. Anyway, that... Kandanya, it's not in that first sutra, but in a Mahayana discourse, Kandanya speaks a little more about what happened to him. What helped him break through what's called entering the stream. He touched Nibbana. He knew the deathless. So when Sariputra is encouraging Anaruna, turn your mind to the deathless, that's what happened to Kandanya in that talk he realized, ah, what he hadn't seen before. What was not coming and going. And he spoke about what helped him see that. He put it like this when he was uh, recounting that experience. It was in this assembly um, where uh, different uh, disciples were talking about how they broke through. Of the elders now present in this assembly, I received that name, Anya Kandanya, the one who knows. Because I was enlightened to the meaning of the word guest dust. Guest dust. And I realized the fruition. And then he gives uh, two similes. These are really helpful, I've found in practice. It is like a traveler who stops as a guest at a roadside inn, perhaps for the night or perhaps for a meal. When he is finished lodging there or when the meal is finished, he packs his bags and sets out again. He does not remain there at leisure. The host, however, does not go far away. Considering it this way, Kandunya went on, the one who does not remain is called the guest. And the one that does remain is called the host. Guest then means what does not remain. Like in this talk, the sounds, the words are guests. They do not remain. That's the first image. Again the second. When the sky clears up, the morning sun rises with all resplendence and its golden rays stream into a house through a crevice to reveal particles of dust in the air. The dust dances in the rays of light, but the empty space is motionless. Considering it this way, what is clear and still is called space. What moves is called dust. Dust then means that which moves. We've seen that the dust, the light, the dust dancing. What if we wanted the dust not to dance? So we're trying to make them move a certain way? What if we want the guests not to come and go? It is the nature of dust to dance. But what if we let the dust be dust? This gives us a clue when the uh, Sariputra told Anuruddha, "Don't, don't worry about those thoughts. Turn your mind to the deathless. When the dust is dancing, what if we just widen our vision and notice what is not dancing? The space remains, untroubled. Wisely ref- now we can look at this phrase, wisely reflecting, yoni so manasikara. It points the same phenomenon. Yoni means womb. It's talking about a space. The thing gives birth. But it's the matrix, the the context manasikara mankara means to do manas the mind letting putting the activity of mind into the womb of awareness wise reflection could be called radical reflection it's returning to the root every sound every guest of moods and experiences is coming and going, but what remains? When the sound ends, do we just keel over dead? There's still the listening. There's still the knowing. There's the unmoving refuge Buddha. So right now, many of us are seeing we're not as accomplished as uh, Aniruddha, but everyone here we have some effort some wholesome effort it's really been practiced it's been some cultivation of presence we definitely experience I suspect most of us some sense of struggle and stress but the Sariputra and also the Buddha and certainly Ajahn Chah encouraged us to notice what happens if we get so caught up in trying to just get it right. That we're always becoming, we're always getting on to a little more samadhi or trying to get rid of that. And well, as long as this is there, there's no way I can have a breakthrough. What if we just let it be dust dancing all right now, these sounds, these sensations, whatever we're happening to be feeling, the mood, the thoughts, just as they are. Can we let them be what they actually are? They're conditions that come and go. They're guests. That's their nature. It's like dust dancing. Trying to get the dust to stay a certain way is a recipe for frustration. The Buddha compared it to trying to grab air. So you try to grab it, you reap weariness. Ajahn Chah used a more earthy example. When we want conditions to be what they can't be, we're wanting a happy feeling to stay. We're wanting the, unha- the painful feelings to be gone. We're wanting that sense of peace and understanding to be solid. But as we start to notice anicca, that actually every sight, every sound, every feeling, every taste, every smell, every sensation, every perception is just like these sounds becoming otherwise every instant like the dust dancing. And yet, looking for certainty, as Ajahn Chah said, in that which is uncertain, we're bound to suffer. He said it's just like going up to a duck and saying, why aren't you a chicken? Look, I mean, ducks are all right, don't get me wrong, but you know, you quack, quack. Look, just think, if you cockle-doodle-doo, you could wake people up. Think of the good karma. I don't know quack, quack is that good karma. He said, like, wanting... to be a chicken. Yet that's what we do when we're wrestling with, with conditions by turning the mind to the deathless. What if for a moment we just let the feelings, let the sounds, let the moods just be as they are and just widen the attention to notice what remains. Listening is so helpful that the sounds come and go but the, the listening remains. The knowing remains. Resting in it. The womb of awareness it's wider. We're, when we're contracted around the particularization the atomization that we get contracted around me and this and that we forget that every experience is happening within this ocean like, boundless presence. So, wise reflection is not denying the conditions, but it's recognizing, returning them, realizing how they return to this womb. This space, this matrix of awareness. So it is said, just as form is to space, form, the forms in this room. So we're noticing the forms, but we're also recognizing the relationship of these forms to space. We're surrounded right now by boundless space above, below and all around. It's a fact. Just as form is to space or just as space is to form and silence is to sound. So too is awareness to all experience. So for a time, rather than we might still have liking this form, not liking that one, we can just let that be. We're not crushing anything. Whatever the habit happens to be, let it be for now. But just to contemplate, just as space is the form. So that you can't have forms without space. We get so contracted around our opinions about forms, we don't realize the, we're coming for this meeting, then in a while, this room will be empty. The space remains. Forms come and go. As silence is to sound. So, just a, a slight adjustment in our practice. It's not, it's not crushing anything. We still notice the thoughts and sounds, but we're noticing that they're coming and going within a silent listening. This is called radical reflection. It's called the Sharangama Samadhi in this famous Mahayana discourse because Sharangama means durable, it's unshakable. The deathless doesn't shake. The dust dancing in the sunbeam, it's supposed to shake. So all the feelings we're having now, even the opinion oh gosh, I don't know what this is if I can really do it, I mean, I haven't had much samadhi. Usually you only have a breakthrough if you really, you know, do you know, I just don't. Know. What if that, let that be dust dancing? That's dancing within a silent listening. Letting be, letting things come and go by relaxing No matter how much we do, that's why Anaruto couldn't do it. We keep, keep trying to do it. It's in Zen they call it trying to polish a brick and hoping you get a mirror. It's squeezing the samadhi, wanting a little more, having to get the feelings just right. It's endless. Or the Buddha said, it's like cooking sand, hoping you're going to get a nice meal. He said, this clinging at conditions and wanting them, my body, my feelings, wanting those to, to, to be stable. That's why recognizing change is so important because as we see all these things we're clinging to are shifting, changing. They're like a waterfall. When we walk up close to a waterfall, it might be a famous waterfall. I'm going to go see so and so waterfall. You might feel an attachment to it. We've got one of the best waterfalls. But as we get close to it, the thunderous sound, incredible mist. Waterfall sounds like a thing, but as we then try to to grab it, one can just appreciate it. It's like that dust dancing. It's that... when we really start to recognize that actually this life of ours is cascading waterfall of sights and sounds feelings and thoughts wanting that to be stay in a certain form is is dukkha that's why there's the relinquishment. That's the insight then into not mine because how could it be mine? It's not even a thing. It's an ever-flowing stream. That's why the bowing is so important. Yes, effort and A lot of us have beautiful effort here. Effort's important to cultivate presence and investigation and seeing change, but if there's only that yang, trying to get it right, that's the cooking sand, hoping for the good meal. It's the polishing the brick, wanting the mirror. It's still sitting there asking that duck why it's not a chicken. At some point, there's the, for all of us, we don't have to wait till things are perfect, there's that turning the heart to the unmoving, that's not somewhere else, it's our nature. To notice the. it's right here, the silence is before the sound. Every sound all. Our teacher called it minding the gap. He encouraged us to, yes, notice the thoughts, but even take a simple one. I'm sitting. Listen to that inner voice, inner sound. I'm, and notice it's vibrating, sitting, and then notice it dissolves. Do we keel over dead? That moment after the thaw is just bright knowing. He encouraged us to mind that gap. To attend to the deathless. To this womb. To this original brightness, the Buddha called it. It is this primal bright essence of consciousness that can bring forth all conditions, but because of conditions, you consider it to be lost. Living beings lose sight of this original brightness. It's not somewhere else. It's always right here, inviting us. When we bow, when we relax, when we trust that it's not that we have to get somewhere else. That's endless. No, 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 excuse me, right. When I get there, I'll talk to you. I've got to get there. I've got to get rid of this. That's how conditions can cause us to lose sight of what is always here. Every sound, every impression emerges and dissolves back into this original brightness. Again, the Buddha put it like this. It is this primal bright essence of consciousness It can bring forth all conditions. Because of conditions you consider it to be lost and then living beings lose sight of the original brightness. Therefore, though they use it to the end of their days, they are unaware of it and without intending enter the various destinies of birth and death. So encouraging us to... Yes, there's wonderful effort, but let's not overlook the soft effort sometimes. The, the just letting things be just like this. And honoring the perfection the guests are. Our patterns are showing themselves. Oh, but I should have been beyond this by now. I mean, I thought, I mean, it was really going good. And after, you know, so-and-so really tripped me up. I'm not blaming anybody, but, I mean, I can't believe they call themselves a meditator. <laughs> really, I mean, you know, you'd think there would be some screening or something. For, oh God, I, I know, I know, I know, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't, I sh- shouldn't be worrying you know. Just with the, whatever the pattern is, can it just be perfectly? When it's me and mine, there's a one big heck of a wrestling match going on. But when it's dharma, then it is dharma. It's part of nature. Let the dust dance. It's the guests coming and going. What remains? What is it that's not coming and going? We rest into that. this ground of the heart I was such a doer I wanted to do all the toughest practices because I was so strong I used to be a wrestler I could walk on my hands when in my early days as a monk for hundred yards used to teach the monks I anger yoga before dawn in the early. When I was just a nov uh, postulant, I was making extra effort doing this and that, and that wasn't bad. It's not bad to make effort, but I was just—I didn't have any sense of this. What does it mean that the peace is always here and now, always inviting? But it took a heavenly messenger to help me. I got typhoid fever, almost died. (sighs) Months and months of diarrhea and then the fever and then urinating blood and then really sick and I ended up being laid out for three years. I had to lie down pretty much for three years. Feeling a bit like a failure seeing all kinds of doctors my teachers, Western teachers, were worried about me. I was seeing all kinds of healers and doctors and they had to stay in this sort of, when we moved to Chithurst Monastery in, in England from Thailand, I would had this little attic room where I could just be sick. But I was still trying to get better. Ajahn Samedo remembered I was so strong and he remembered me when I had so much energy and he was so wanting me to get better. And one day he realized, golly, I'm just, I'm putting a burden on Kitty Sorrow. I didn't know that's what he was thinking when I was lying there on my floor. I felt like I had a spear in my side for years, just burning, indigestion, internal bleeding really pale and thin and collapsed he came into my room and said oh wow so he sat down on the floor next to me and said Kitty Sorrow I just want to apologize I said you want to apologize? I want to apologize that I've been putting all this stress on you Wanting you to get better, wanting you to get better, wanting you to get better. He said, Kitty Zara, I give you permission t- to die. <laughs> he didn't smile, but he just said I give you permission to die. And the relief. I cried for joy. It's not that I didn't know these practices then, but that really gave me permission just to let being sick be being sick. Let it be a heavenly messenger. Let each of us as having a heavenly messengers of our karmic conditions are appearing to us perfectly. Dissolving and flickering in this luminous heart that's never gone anywhere, never will go anywhere, is unstained. This original brightness is not somewhere else. But that gave me permission. And I loved lying down, that was my practice. Each outbreath, as I let go. What's so wonderful when you're really tired and let go, the floor, the ground holds you. I kept letting go into this ground of awareness. There's a ground floor. It's our, it's our nature. Each outbreath, breath each sound, like Bhutto, each word, each sound dissolves into this. Each outbreath, breath letting go. Really contemplating what remains. Pleasure and pain, they are perfect as they are. What remains? We can do this, don't have to get typhoid and lie down for three years. In ordinary moments, when Ajahn Chah was walking on alms round with the monks, one day he pointed to a really large boulder and he turned around to the monks and said, is that boulder heavy? The monk's thinking, what is this? A trick question? Yes, Lumpa, yes, Venerable Father, it's heavy. And Ajahn Chah went, nah! It's not heavy if you don't try to lift it. <laughs> and when we're, all of us have Patterns. Is a pain in the back heavy when you're trying to shift it, wrestle with it? Is being sick heavy? Yes, when I wanted to try to get better so that I could be a real monk and really do the right stuff. And that was carrying a big boulder. When Ajahn Semedo said, you have permission to die, I had permission just to let it be. It was still painful, but I wasn't adding anything. It was just relief. (sighs) So in moments, we'll notice ourselves wrestling something, pushing, pulling. And this yes is important. It's not a waste of time. The Buddha didn't call it a first noble truth for nothing. Suffering isn't a waste. As Ajahn Chah would say, if it was a bad thing, he wouldn't call it a noble truth. So we open to it and get a sense for this wrestling. But as we practice letting be, letting go, and trusting that we're letting go into what is always here and now. That's what the Buddha taught. This peace is always here and now and even moments of noticing when we're generating suffering and in a moment when it's just what it is. It's very important. Turning our mind to the deathless. Letting the dust and the sounds keep arising and dissolving into this unmoving, ever-bright, fathomless, Silent listening. I'll give Ajahn Chah the last word tonight. So grateful. Or his example, and the example of uh, my teachers, Ajahn Cha, Ajahn Sumedho, Master Shunwa, my fellow practitioners, who we keep encouraging each other. So from Ajahn Chah. Do everything with a mind that lets go. Do not expect praise or reward. If you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely you will know complete peace. Your struggles with the world will have come to an end. May the blessings of this day be shared above, below, and all around. Blessings don't belong to anyone. The more we relax and let them be and let them flow, they expand exponentially. The a pebble dropping into a pool, sending ripples in all directions effortlessly. As we breathe out, so too may the goodness and blessings of our lives extend in all directions, touching all space, all forms. Blessing all beings.
1: O. Oh.